Well, good morning. My name is Josh Perkins. Um, I actually, our deputation from start to what we're getting close to the finish has not been a very ordinary deputation from what I've gathered from other missionaries. And pastor is right. Um, Brother Terry had reached out to me a while ago and asked if we would come. And my plans were to be leaving for Papua New Guinea about now. <laughs> and uh, the Lord has indeed changed our plans, but we're very grateful to get to be here. I do intend to spend um, the majority of our time this evening actually considering Papua New Guinea uh, and my family and who we are and what we're doing. So I intend to not really spend any time with that today. Um, we, we do have an amazing Lord to serve and a king. And I want us really to turn our entire attention then to that. And please turn to Psalm 67. Um, I am going to read a lot of different scripture passages over the course of this message. And I have them all organized in a way that I can find them quickly. Um, I'm going to a country where 75% of the people within the bush where we're working are illiterate. And so they have no way of knowing really whether I'm telling them the truth or not. They just have to decide whether they trust me, and the Holy Spirit has to open their minds and hearts. Um, but today, you actually can tell whether I am telling you the truth or not. You can look into God's word yourself. And uh, every church that I am at, I exhort them to fact check me. Um, so if you are not able to turn to a passage, uh, because I will be reading through a, a few passages here before too much longer, um, I invite you just to jot down maybe those references if you can't turn to them in time. And uh, I trust the Lord will really grow us uh, over looking at his word this morning. I want to start by very simply reading Psalm 67. God, be merciful unto us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously, and govern the nations upon the earth, Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Psalm 67, along with many other psalms, have been called missionary psalms. Uh, 67 in particular because it gives an invitation to the nations, all of the nations, to praise God. I think most of you understand what a missionary is and what a missionary does. Um, I am going to attempt then this morning not so much to define missions for us, although if you come back this evening we will talk some missions philosophy, which I get really excited about, um, not so much to define this morning missions for us, but actually to attempt to fit missions into an even greater theme within the scripture. So before we really dive into Psalm 67, I want to try to create a context. And to create that context, I am going to read in fairly quick succession and without comment a bunch of different 
passages. So if you have your ears ready and maybe your pens and papers ready, and if some of you are fast, your fingers ready, uh, I'm going to read through this list, kind of to help us with a context of where I'm going. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Actually, before I continue, I want to give you a note. In all of these verses, you're going to find several reoccurring themes. So have your minds active, and I want you to be trying to catch these individual themes if you can. When I'm done, I'm going to ask what these themes are. So um, do, do pay attention as I read. I'll read Mark 1 again. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43. And the people sought him and came to him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, and then I'll skip to verse 6 very quickly. Then he, being Jesus, called his 12 disciples together, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3. Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Acts chapter 5, sorry, Acts chapter 8, verses 5, and then later verse 12. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 19 and verse 8. And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Here Paul, and I do need to give a little bit of explanation of the verse, it won't make much sense. He's giving a farewell speech and sermon to people that he had preached to. And uh, in this farewell, he says, verse 25 of Acts 20, And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. There's a lot of other verses I could read, but I think I'm going to stop here for sake of time and then ask you, did you catch any recurring themes embedded in these passages? What themes stood out to you? Well, I I hope you picked up that in the great majority of these passages, there was preaching involved, there was commissioning involved, the gospel is involved, but in every single one of those verses that I read, these passages are also talking about the kingdom of God. And this is what I want us to consider today, the kingdom of God. 
this great theme of missions. Now, we are living, I know, in a day and age uh, in which we do not see the kingdom of God on this earth. But this subject of the kingdom of God is very important for us to understand, especially if we are to understand who we are as a church, who our Savior is, and what his intention is and always has been. Missions actually fits into this greater theme, this concept of the kingdom of God. And in these verses that I read, the kingdom of God so seamlessly connects to the gospel that in a few of these verses it said, the gospel of the kingdom of God. These two ideas are related. And I hope that by the end of our time today, we will see how. The kingdom of God is a theme that runs from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end of it. This is a topic which has created much debate. There are entire theological systems and opposing views that have been built and developed to try to understand and grasp this concept of the kingdom of God. It's not my intention to open those theological debates today. I think if you pay attention, you would find where I land in those, but that's not my intention. The kingdom of God and the gospel. Well, clearly, as Jesus preached on this earth, Mark chapter 1 sums all of Jesus' preaching into this statement. And I know it's a summary. It's not the whole. He preached many things to us. But Mark 1 teaches us that Jesus preached, repent for what is at hand? The kingdom of God is at hand. When the disciples then were sent out, they preached again the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, the great bearer of this mystery, that it's not just the Jews, but the Gentiles somehow are being brought into God's people. The church is founded. And Paul, bearing this good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, preached the kingdom of God. Pilate asked Jesus and pressed him on this point. There was a great debate surrounding as to who Jesus was. If you read your Gospels, you find this debate about Jesus' identity to really be absorbed most of the Gospels, the Gospel accounts. Who is Jesus? And the Gospel accounts were written to explain that. Who is Jesus? Pilate pressed him because what he was being accused of was being a king or claiming to be a king. And what actually drove Pilate to side with the Jews was their saying, there is no king but Caesar. Pilate then questions Jesus very thoroughly about this, and when pressed, Jesus answered him saying, my kingdom is not of this world. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he commanded them to pray this, that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the kingdom of God is now. In heaven, God is ruling. And his will is done with supreme authority and complete sovereignty. But we don't see that on earth. As Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, in Acts chapter 1 and verses 6 through 8... Um, actually, the disciples then come to Jesus, and he's about to ascend into heaven, and what they want to know is this. Is now the time? Now are you going to bring the kingdom 
The physical kingdom promised to us as Jews in the Old Testament, are you bringing it together now? You can hear the excitement in their voice. <laughs> is it now? With this expectancy. And Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know the time or the epics. I'm not going to tell you when the kingdom is coming. But you are going to be given a job to do. Until I return, you will be witnesses of me. And then giving to the church, his disciples, this great commission, Jesus then ascends into heaven. Jesus made it very clear, though, in his preaching, especially in John chapter 3. Salvation is the means by which we may become citizens of heaven. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom, then, is a very important I think and we can correctly conclude several things about God's kingdom. God is right now reigning in heaven with absolute authority. But we do not see this earth repentant and bowing to him and in submission to him. We don't. Look around. Is this earth in submission to God? Is this earth submission into Jesus as its king? But while this is true, the gospel is the means by which men may become citizens of this coming kingdom. And I could even then ask you, in a way of asking whether or not you are saved, I could ask this, are you a citizen of heaven? Are you? And do you think of yourself as such? So this is, this great debate surrounding who Jesus is. And in Matthew chapter 16, and actually I would invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 16 and verses 13 through 19, Jesus is going to bring this great debate surrounding his identity to a head. And he's going to do so in the hearts and minds of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, in the beginning of verse 13, he is traveling with his disciples. And verse 13 says, they had just come into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples there saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Well, was that true? Some say Elias. Well, was that true? Others, Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. But he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ. Now, Christ is not a name as we think of a last name. What does Christ mean? This is actually a title, which is why the scriptures say you are the Christ. This is an identifying term, not a name. Christ is the Messiah. 
the anointed one, a literal translation. The king, as, as Peter is saying this, Peter is actually professing, you are the one that all of the Old Testament prophecies have said is going to come and to be God's forever eternal king. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And he, he uses this, this play on words with his name, Peter, and I don't want us to be confused about that. God isn't saying that Peter is the one who the church is built upon, but when Jesus says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, what she is telling Peter is upon this profession that you just made, who is Jesus? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this, this profession... Jesus says, I will build my church. If you today can rightly be described as a church, then you must be built upon this foundation. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King, the Anointed One long before prophesied. This theme then is very, very, very important. And why is all of this such a big deal? Well, we know that when God created the heavens and the earth and all that was in them, in Genesis chapter one, at the very end of it, we find God summing up this entirety of creation in this statement. Everything that God made was good. Because everything was just as God had defined it. When we look in Genesis, Genesis 1, so foundational. God created male and female, created he them. Here in the very beginning, in this perfect world, God defines marriage and gender. He defines for us how he intends for this world to be. And it was good. But is the world still good? You see, the world at that point in time was perfectly submitted to God. And it was perfectly submitted to God's definitions of how things should be. But we are not in a world that is submitted to God any longer. We know in the very beginning of the Bible what broke this. What destroyed this perfection and this goodness Men sin. When man sinned, it's not that Satan somehow forced the fruit into Eve's mouth. And we talked about this in Sunday school uh, with all of the young couples. Satan did not actually make them to sin. Now, he lied to them, and they believed his lie. But when they sinned, they actually looked at that fruit that God had said, don't eat, and they questioned God. And when they questioned God, they really were simply doing this. They took God off the throne and said, I don't think I'm going to listen to God anymore. I want to do what I'm going to do. And at that point, Eve and Adam made themselves king. They became enthroned. See, Satan was leading them into the very same choice that he himself had made when he fell, 
God had made him too. Perfect and beautiful. And in pride, he said to himself, I will be God. This is the ultimate summation of man's sin. We have rebelled against the lordship of God. And so in continuing to create this context before we finally, we will get back to Psalm 67, I promise. I want us to turn to Psalm 2. Because Psalms 2, again, a foundational passage that is so important for us to understand and to keep in our mind, it is going to explain for us then the condition in which the world is. It's actually going to explain our current events if we will allow it to enlighten our minds. Psalm chapter 2, and I'm actually going to read this psalm in its entirety because every single bit of it is important then to understand Psalm 67 in its entirety. Psalm chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against whom? This is who Peter was talking about. The Christ, his anointed, this term, his anointed is our word Christ. The kings have set themselves, the rulers have taken counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ his Messiah, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God starts to speak in verse 6 and we read, God says, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, the Lord said unto me. And here he is actually speaking to the Messiah. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him, that is, the son. Do we not see this psalm clearly written in the events of our world today? The rulers of our world taking counsel together. Remember my discussion from Genesis chapter 1? Right now, even those who are being nominated for our Supreme Court do not know how to define gender. What is a woman? God said what a woman is. And if you will read Genesis chapter 1, you will find what a woman is and a man. 
the rulers of the earth taking counsel to cast off God and his law. But this has actually infiltrated everything. You know, in our educational systems, in the church here has a Christian school, and that's a wonderful thing. Because again, the rulers of the earth have set themselves together And now they are attempting to teach all of this world that, no, the world did not originate with God. And we have devised for ourselves entire systems of science intending to undo and redefine where this world came from. I invite you to read again Genesis chapter 1. God tells us where it came from. And we see then a world that is intent and it is in our educational system and it is in how men act and go about their lives and how they relate with each other. Within marriage, within how husbands and wives are to relate to each other, parents and children, how they are to relate with each other. We see this rejection of God. And the rulers of the earth are taking their stand against God and against his anointed. But... God is laughing at all of this. Because even all the way back at Psalm 2, and even all the way back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, we have revealed for us there is coming a seed, a son of the woman. And then the Old Testaments fill out a little bit more about who this coming son is. Not just the son of a woman or the son of man, which is a term we should be familiar with, but a son of Abraham and a promised son of David. Now, we know the Jews, when Jesus was here on this earth, rejected that he was indeed the Christ. But very interestingly, the Jews did understand half of who Christ is. They did not understand Jesus, the Lamb of God, sent to take away the sins of the world, to make a way for men to be saved and become kingdom citizens, to be saved from their sin and its consequences and God's just wrath on sin. They, they, they did not, they could not grasp how the Messiah was going to do the work of the Lamb, but they did understand that he was coming as a king. I want us now to return to Psalm 67. And we are going to work through the individual verses of this psalm again. With all of this context in mind. Remember, this is a missionary psalm. A missions psalm. This psalm starts with a prayer in verse 1. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Now, these words are actually not original with Psalm 2. The psalmist here is actually quoting other scripture. Where do we see these words? There's actually a song made about this passage that some of us know and are familiar with. God, be merciful and gracious and cause his face to shine upon us. Where do we find these words originally? Well, if you happen to have 
cross-references in your scriptures, you will find these, these exact words come from Numbers chapter 6, verse 25. Now, the context of Numbers is this. God has chosen his people, the Jews, the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham. He has called them out of Egypt. He has taken them to give them their own land that he promised to Abraham and all of his children after him. He has now given to these people his law, his revelation. He has revealed to them his own name. And now as a symbol of God's presence with them, he has directed them to construct this tabernacle. This tabernacle which is going to be a representation of what Jesus himself is going to come and do as the lamb. They, are, they have erected this tabernacle in Moses in the dedicatory prayer of this tabernacle stands up and prays this prayer. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Now, who, who is Aaron praying for? Who is he praying for? Well, he's praying for the Jews. He's praying for the sons of Jacob. He's praying for those 12 tribes who are journeying through the wilderness with him. That's who he's praying for. What is to be, though, the fulfillment of this prayer? And why is, why is the psalmist praying this? Well, he actually tells us why he's praying this prayer in verse 2. So let's just simply continue to read. Why should God be merciful unto the Jews and bless the Jews and cause his face to shine upon the Jews? He prays that God would do this so that, verse 2, thy way, God's way, may be made known upon the earth. And specifically this about God's way. Verse 2 says, thy saving health. Now this actually is a New Testament term. When you read it in the New Testament, it's this, salvation. Now wait a second. Why is this, this clearly Old Testament man who has no clue about anything that the Gospels declare, talking about salvation. And, and what does this salvation have to do with all the nations? Because in this man's understanding, you know, you look at the Jews, what was their understanding of the world? Well, you have the Gentiles and you have God's people. Did the Jews really want the rest of the peoples, the nations of the earth, to be united in peace under God? Did they really? How did the nation of Israel interact with the world around them in their day? But this psalmist is saying that if God blesses the Jews and causes his face to shine upon them, that all the nations are going to know salvation? What is he praying for? How is God's blessing a specific group of people going to be the thing that makes all of the world, all of us, know God's salvation? Well, let's continue reading. He talks about this concept of salvation for all the nations. And in verse 3, he then moves into a call to worship. Let the people praise thee, O God. What people? Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad. And sing for joy. He was calling for us to worship God as we did this morning. The vast overwhelming majority of us are not sons of Jacob by birth. 
We are the nations. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Well, the psalmist is going to tell us why. Why should the nations be glad? Well, we already know he just talked about salvation. All right? We, we, it's easy for us to understand salvation, be glad, rejoice. But let's continue reading and let the psalmist tell us why he thinks we as Gentile people should be glad and sing for joy. Well, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For thou shalt... Shalt what? Are you reading your Bibles? Why are the nations, the Gentiles, going to be glad? Thou shalt judge. And the verse continues, and govern. Okay, now when was the last time talking about government and judgment, you just got really excited and started jumping up and down and singing? Are you satisfied with our government right now? Are you satisfied with not just the American government, with any government on the face of this earth? Is there any other country you want to move to that's better? This is the epitome of man's rule. This is man's rule. This is Adam and Eve eating the fruit and by a death coming into all the world. This is the best man can do. Death, destruction, racism, anger, hate, theft, fear, sickness, This is human government and judgment. But we're not rejoicing because of human government. Ultimately, what is God? Again, I bring us back to verse 1. What is God being merciful unto the Jews and blessing the Jews and causing his face to shine upon the Jews? It's what those people have always been waiting for. The promised seed. Their king. Their Messiah, the Christ. You see, what he is expecting and what he's saying all of the Gentile people should be expecting is the kingdom. God's rule. You know, this world is never going to be right. This world is never going to be at peace. Until the Christ. You see, Jesus is coming just as the Old Testament said he was going to come to reign on a physical throne in physical Jerusalem. See, Jesus came the first time, yes, as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But when Jesus returns a second time, he is not coming as another sacrifice. He is coming as a king crowned to reign. And Psalm 2 said he will reign with a rod of iron. This kingdom that is coming is going to be life as God has defined it. Gender as God alone defined it. Marriage as God defined it. Labor and work ethic as God defined it. Parent and children relationships as God has defined it. And this is saying, this is supposed to make the nations rejoice. I have a question. Does the idea of Jesus Christ coming and reigning cause you to get excited? It should. 
this passage, this Old Testament man is saying it should. If you are fearful of this, I want to ask you, do you even understand this word in verse 2, salvation? Do not be deceived. This world has taken its stand to fight against God and God's law. Who is king of your heart, really? Are you looking and waiting for a king to rule your life? Or are you attempting to rule it yourself? That question has a lot to do with this term, salvation. You see, Jesus is not divided. He is the Lamb of God. He is also the Christ. You don't get to have the Lamb without the Christ. And you do not get to have the Christ without the Lamb, as the Jews wanted it. They wanted a king without being saved from their sin. They were quite comfortable in their sins. Are we quite comfortable in our sins? Are you saved? Or are you still in rebellion against God and his rule and attempting to cast off his and his king's cords? You see, in Romans it says, if you shall confess Jesus as Lord. You know, we are not saved by our works. Our salvation is supernatural. Jesus said you must be born again. But if you are indeed born again, you will bear the fruits then of this salvation. Those who understand salvation in verse 2 are excited and waiting and expectant and praising God with the idea of this kingdom. Are you waiting for a king? Who is king of your heart? If you are not excited about the thought of Jesus Christ coming and reigning and defining your life as he is going to define it and already has, I do question, do you know the Lamb of God at all? Are you saved? If you're not excited about the return of Jesus Christ, find someone from this church who's smiling after the service and ask them why. Because if you know the Lamb of God and you have had your sins forgiven and their consequences forgiven, you are going to shout and rejoice and be glad, come, Jesus, come. This verse goes on to explain then, after talking about God's government, again, verse 5 repeats this call to worship. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Verse 6 is going to describe to us just a, a brief glimpse, one little aspect of what the world is going to look like when Jesus is sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. This is what it's like when God's law is enacted on earth. The earth shall yield her increase, and God shall bless us. Now, driving through Pennsylvania, I have seen a lot of farms, and farmers understand this verse better than the rest of us who don't farm. When was the last time your work returned 100% what you put into it? Now, I'm not talking about making a profit in what you charged a customer. How many of the seeds that you planted actually sprang up and bore fruit? After you planted them, did you have to pull weeds? Did thorns choke and rob maybe some of those plants in the soil? 
Was the soil perfectly fertile or did you have to add supplements to it? You see, farmers understand this earth right now under God's curse because of our sin does not yield its increase. It won't. It can't. For all of the advancements in science that we have created to improve farming, and yeah, our farming's come a long way. You know, I bet Cain wished he had have had these great big harvesters and John Deere and stuff like that. But even those today driving with modern science at its best knows this earth doesn't yield its full increase. And we find in Romans that even this earth is groaning, waiting for the adoption of sons. Because when this happens, and we really know salvation in its fullness, it's going to include Jesus reigning on the earth. The kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so verse 7, looking forward to the promise that one of these days, the curse is going to be lifted, it's going to be removed. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Now, both Psalm 2 and Psalm 67 use this term fear. You know, when we think of jumping up and down and getting excited in God's blessing, our mind probably does not turn in that direction. I want to give us a very simple illustration as we consider this term. When you were two and three and four, did you obey your parents because you loved them and they loved you? Silence. Why? Well, if I'm honest, the answer is no. Now, my parents loved me. I never once doubted my parents' love for me. But as an adult, I have since taken my father out and thanked him personally for every spanking he ever gave to me. Why? Because my loving father understood what was best for me, and he knew that if he let me have my own way, I would kill myself. He knew that if I was allowed to pursue my own choices, I would wreak havoc in my life. Just as God told Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree, for the day that you eat of it, you will die. You see, God does know best. He knows best how to define gender. He knows best how to define marriage. He knows best how to tell us to live. And he's not telling us this because he hates us or wants us to have a hard life. He's telling us this because he loves us. It was my fear, though, of my father as an immature non-understanding little boy that preserved me to come to know my father's love. You see, this is where the fear of God leads. It leads us to repent. And when you repent and your sin is forgiven, oh, the joy. You know, now my father no longer has to say, Josh, if, if you do that, <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. Why am I at peace with my father now? Because the fear that I had of my father led me to a proper repentance and submission. And that repentance and submission led me to peace and reconciliation with my father. And today my father is one of my best friends. 
Do you fear God? The fear of God is a good thing. The fear of God is a good thing. And this passage is saying that when Jesus is reigning with that rod of iron, the whole world will fear him, and that is going to be a cause for rejoicing. Are you waiting for a kingdom? This psalm prays this prayer, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And I want to leave us with this thought. Maybe we should think about praying that prayer. God hasn't yet fulfilled all of the promises to those Jewish people. He will. God will fulfill every single promise that he made to the Jews. But some of them haven't been fulfilled yet. Are you praying that God would be merciful to the Jews and bless them and cause his face to shine upon them? If you're praying that, you're praying for the coming of their king. And if you really understand God's salvation, he's your king too. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Forgive us for not thinking of ourselves as citizens of your kingdom. We are tempted to live for this world, to live for our will, to live for our own wants and desires, and in doing so, we cast off your law. But Lord, this is foolishness, and it's what drove our parents, Adam and Eve, from the garden and from your hand of blessing. I pray that you would be merciful to all of us this morning to truly accept Jesus as Lord, to know him as the lamb and have salvation from sin and to know him as king in our life. And Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that you would complete this great work of missions that there might be from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, those in your kingdom to bow the knee and to praise Jesus as Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.